0: Hello, you found Dogmatically Imperfect, Condensed Imperfection, a condensed version of Season 1 episodes in a more digestible time frame. Today's session, Zealous Saul and Zealous Paul, twice wrong? Now the migration of Paul's theology is often framed as from Saul to Paul. And we know that Saul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, right? Blameless by the law, etc. Not only that, but he was more zealous than most. He was like, you know, he was a one percenter, right? Nobody was gonna out zeal Saul. I think about uh, you know, when I think about zeal, I think about uh, Toy Story, the first one, and when they, when when uh, Woody and Buzz are they they make it to Pizza Planet, and um, they hide in the little uh, claw game, the claw, right? And the little green aliens, right? <laughs> when when the claw is grabbing Buzz and bringing him up. And, and Woody's trying to pull him back, pull him back. And he's like, he must go. He has been chosen. And he's all back off, you zealots. Back off. Right. <laughs> the, the, all they know is the claw is the thing. And they're, they're zealous for uh, the claw in a way that, you know, uh, Woody's like, come on, guys, it's, it's, it's not a thing. They're they're stuck in this mindset. It's kind of like Buzz was stuck in his mindset that he's Buzz Lightyear and he's defending the galaxy when really he's just a toy. And uh, these little green aliens, they think that um, you know the Claw is it, it, it chooses who will go and who will stay, right? <laughs> the Claw's our master. So, uh, but nobody's gonna out zeal Saul, right? He's just the zealous one. And uh, Paul's Paul's justification pre Christ was that he was, you know, from Adam, Abraham, Israel, Moses, a Pharisee, you know, and zeal. So, right, it's he's the son of Adam, a son of Abraham, not just any son, right? Uh, but, but the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, but Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and not just Israel, but of the Mosaic law, and inside the law, he was a Pharisee, a very strict sect, and not just a Pharisee, but with more zeal than even his spiritual father the strictest of the strict of the strict and he was willing to mete out physical punishment up to and including death to those who threatened the safety of Israel by their false teaching now when i say the safety of israel i mean as it pertains to god's blessing and judgment right if you if we think about deuteronomy right if you do these things you'll be blessed if you do these things you'll be uh, under a curse and we know that through the history of Israel, the written history of Israel, that their understanding is when they disobeyed God, they were turned over for judgment and the exile and all this stuff, right? So, so in, in Saul's mind, he is uh, making sure to, to keep Israel pure as, and, and, and uh, aligned with what God wants according to what is written, right? And, and this pertained to his own group of people. You know, Saul didn't go out and get a fatwa against non-Israelites. He wasn't authorized to do that. He was purging his us of impurities. You know, and as a JV, right, when he was on the JV squad, he was the equipment guy for the varsity squad when they stoned Stephen. Right, we know all this. Okay, so before we get uh, to where we're going, I want to point out that this sounds kind of like me in the tradition that I was raised. And actually some of you right now, too. Now, I wouldn't say I was zealous to the point of killing people who didn't believe like me. That really isn't necessary in my tradition. We believe that God is going to handle the killing, so we don't have to, right? Eternal punishment. We don't have to do any of that. God's going to take care of that on his own. But Paul was all in on the purging of these, you know, Jesus people, even more zealous, like I said, than his spiritual father, Gamaliel. Gamaliel said it's in the book of Acts, hey, let's leave these people alone. If it isn't God, It's going to fizzle out on its own. But if it is God, you know, um, if it's God, I think it'd be pretty dumb to oppose God. So let's just do nothing and find out. And Paul was like, uh, (laughs) not if I have anything to do with it, right? Not on my watch. So this is pre-Christ Paul. And then we know what happens. Acts 9, he sees a line. In fact, we're going to just turn there today. Uh, Acts chapter 9. uh, And you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. Um if you're driving just listen along you don't have to turn there don't don't look it up it's not cumbersome for me to tell you this over and over and over because look i care about you keep your eyes on the road so i'll just keep doing that don't violate wisdom to try to gain wisdom it doesn't make sense so um acts chapter 9 right he sees the light and he meets the living word which shatters the authority of the written word that paul was clinging to his whole life now I know we said we're going to turn there and we are we are turning there I'm actually there right now Paul he was an expert okay he was an expert in what was written and let me just let me find where I'm at here I got my bookmark there here's Malachi right I want, I want to illustrate something okay here's matthew and and when I when I hold this up you're gonna see look so this is the beginning of the New Testament hopefully you can see it there Hopefully it's, yeah, it looks like it's visible. Okay, so this is the beginning of the New Testament. And when I turn it this way, you can see that it's, you know, it's small. It's not as big as the Old Testament for sure. But, but Saul, Paul, was an expert in this part, in the written word. He, he had probably most of it memorized, if not all of it. Now, I'm not that big of an expert, right? I know a lot about it, but I don't have it memorized. I don't have I have certain ones memorized, but not not entire sections or anything like that. But when you're talking about the Pharisee of Pharisees, the he was an expert in this. He was an absolute expert in the written word. And this was his authority. And this kind of goes back to when I, I was talking with my dad before he passed, a couple months. Before he passed, we were talking about everything that I'm going over with you here in these sessions. And uh, my dad was like, well, is the the word of God inspired or not? Is the Bible inspired or not? And I was like, look, dad, I'm not going to say it's not inspired. Because clearly it's inspired. Now, just just because something is inspired doesn't mean it's authorized. What do you mean by that? Justin that sounds kind of weird and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Well, think about this. Think about this. We're talking about Saul right now, right? We're talking about Saul and his migration. An expert in this. This this is the thing that gave him authorization to go out and persecute and kill and jail and 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 you know, do all kinds of stuff to believers. Think about that. This is what gave him authorization. This inspired word, inspired written word, is what gave him authorization to go out and do these horrible, horrible things. Now, do we think that it was authorized by God? Do we think that? Of course we don't. Of course we don't. Because he was persecuting Christians. Now, if he was persecuting, you know, somebody other than Christians or other than Jews, we'd be like, "Oh, well, maybe because you know the Old Testament says we can go out and yeah. look." It's not different. It's the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's if if it's authorized by this written word. The written word is not the authority, and this is what Jesus uh, came and told us. Came and showed us this. Look, I know you've heard this, but I say unto you, I know you've heard an eye for an eye, but I'm telling you, love your enemy. Whoo! That is not when when the children of Israel are conquering, uh, you know, the the promised land. They're not going around loving their neighbor, loving their enemy. That's not what they're doing. They're directly going out and wiping everybody out. That's what they said that they did and they said that they did that authorized by God to do that. Well that's what the book says. Yeah, it is what the book says. And that is what Paul was acting on. Saul, Paul. And let me just clear that up real quick. Now we think about we think about the migration of from Saul to Paul as um the migration. And it's not like he went and had his name changed. It's more like the best example I can come up with is we have the word Christ and we have the word Messiah. They're, they mean the same thing, the anointed one, right? Uh, but one is uh, uh, the Jewish term and the other is, I think, a Greek term. So uh, if you said Jesus Messiah, it would be the same as saying Jesus Christ. It's the same thing. So in the same way, we have the the uh, Jewish version of of paul which is saul and we have the greek version of saul which is paul so they're interchangeable now the scriptures like to uh point to a demarcation but that's not really the way it went down so when when he was when he was talking to the jews and when he was talking to the people of israel they all called him saul and then when he went and kind of went out and started talking to the gentiles they all called him paul That's why he's known as Paul, because he's writing all these letters to the Romans and the, you know, Ephesians and the Galatians and the Philippians. And he's not he's not there's he's not writing to the Jerusalems. Right. (laughs) So if he was, he would probably be called Saul in that book. If he was writing to, you know, the the Bethlehemites or whatever, the Nazarites. Right. If he was writing to anywhere in the, the Jewish region, in the nation of Israel, he would have been referred to as Saul. But as he's going to Rome and all these other places, um, Corinth and all those, then he's referred to uh, by Paul, which is his Greek name. Anyway, so but, but 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 going back to this, when he has this encounter, the thing that he thought was was authoritative, right? The thing that he was an expert in, that gave him authority, was shattered absolutely shattered. It did not... I mean, again, we seem to think that once Paul saw the light and began his ministry, that he had a complete understanding of this new religious tradition. But that's just not how it went down. And let's just take a look real quick. Let me go back where I was. Uh, I marked my spot. And I'm I'm in Acts. Again, don't turn there. Acts. There it is. Let me grab my glasses because I think they're getting worse. So y'all's prayers for my eyes are not working at all. You need a little bit more faith. Or maybe I do, or I don't know. Anyway, um, but we're going to just look in, uh, where am I at? Romans 9.20. Um, well, let's back up one. So when when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Mass. So he, he just had his... Uh, you know, come to Jesus moment, right? And he's blind, and he went to get, see Ananias. And in verse 20, what happens? Immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogues, where? In the synagogues, that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, so we see that Saul, or Paul, went to the synagogues to preach Jesus. And we're going to be in, in Acts for a while here, so just kind of we're gonna hang out in, in the book of Acts. Now do we normally find Gentiles in the synagogues? Uh, not so much okay We don't find Gentiles in the synagogues. so so Saul was not going immediately to uh, the Gentiles. Now the next chapter um, in in Acts is chapter 10 where we see Peter has the vision about the Gentiles being clean right? And if we skip ahead, a couple chapters and let me look at my notes. And we're going to skip ahead to chapter 13, 13, 5. And when they arrived, we're talking about uh, uh, Barnabas and Saul, right? When they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. Okay, now let's, what's our next one? Verse 14, but when, and we're in chapter 13 of Acts, and now we're in verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in uh, Pisidia and went where? into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Okay, now let's go ahead a little bit further. Verse 16. Then Paul, and they're calling him Paul now. Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, said, men of Israel. Who is he talking to? Men of Israel. And you who fear God. Okay, but he's initially talking to men of Israel. Listen. Okay, now let's let's jump all the way down to verse 42. So he's in the synagogue. Okay, so uh, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue... Again, we're in Acts chapter 13. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Verse 43, When Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Okay, so uh, we're just going to skip ahead a little bit, uh, Chapter 14, verse 1, it happened that they went together into the synagogue of the Jews again. Okay, so uh but when we go down, we're gonna skip actually to verse 27. And now when they had come together and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and he and that he had opened the the doors of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Chapter 15 and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Now here we go. We're gonna we're gonna get into some stuff here in a second. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Again, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now these are not, these are not non-believers. What do do I mean by non-believers? These are certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, the brethren, meaning those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, that unless you are circumcised, according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So he's talking to the Gentiles. Right? He's not talking to Israelites. If Unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. He's talking to the Gentiles. And This is where we're going to see the next step in the pattern of shedding Antichrist dogma. Now, what do you you mean by Antichrist dogma? (sighs) Those are some strong words, Justin. Strong words, Antichrist dogma. Yeah, yeah, they are strong words. Um, What do I mean by religious restrictions, the qualifications, the hoops that we have to jump through to satisfy God in some way, shape, or form? You know, the way that we sidestep God's wrath. You know, sign here, initial here, here, and here. Antichrist dogma is transactional, right? If then. If you do X, then you receive Y. And this is not the way Jesus acted. Jesus gave the Y without anyone even asking. Let alone qualifying by giving X or A or B or C. And we're going to see him figure it out, figure this out in real time here. Shedding the authority of the written word for the reality of the living word. Okay, that's what we're going to read right here in chapter 15. We're just going to go to uh, verse 2. Uh, well, let's just read verse 1 again. Uh, and certain men came down from Judea, that's headquarters, and uh, this means, you know, leadership, uh, and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, uh, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders— And they reported all things that God had done with them. Verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Of course, Paul is a Pharisee of Pharisee. But these are other believers who believe that Jesus is the Christ who were once Pharisees also. Okay, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, again, they are being very zealous Within their framework, within their understanding of the written, they're very zealous. They continue to be zealous about the written word. That unless they are circumcised and keep the commandments uh, uh, of the, Mos- the command, uh, let's see, it's necessary to circumcise and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6, now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. This is an important thing that we got to hammer out, okay. And when there had been much dispute, so they're arguing for a long time. Peter rose up and said to them. So Peter's been sitting off on the sideline, and of course he's got his own thoughts. He's going to let them try to hash it out for a while, let them get all their yabbits out, okay. Uh, but Peter rose up and said to them, "Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that my mouth be uh, the gent, that by my mouth." The Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows their heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And made no distinction between us and them. Ooh, there's a good thing. No distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Okay. Now, verse 9 here, I have a little bit of an issue with. So the account that he's referring to in chapter ten says nothing about being purified by faith. In fact, it says they were already clean. In fact, let me just let's just go there real quick um, because we have a little bit of time. So it's Acts chapter ten. It's just a couple chapters back. Uh, well, we'll just go thirteen through fifteen because I have my little notes here. Okay, and a voice came to him, Peter. Uh, Peter's got uh, 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 having a dream, saying, "Rise, Peter, kill and eat." But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, saying, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Okay? And then in verse 34 and 35, let's drop down some. Uh, then P- So now Peter's at the guy's house, right? He went to Cornelius' house. So uh, a God, Jesus is telling a Peter in a dream that, what I've called clean, don't call unclean, right? Don't call it common. So, okay, so he goes to the guy's house and he goes in the inside and he's not supposed to, right? It's against, it's against this. It's against the written word for him to go in to the Gentile's house. He's got to keep himself consecrated, right? Separated. In verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Wow. Does that say anything about uh, faith? Justified by faith? Does that say anything by grace by faith? No. In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Amazing. Now we go down to verse 44. And, and so after this, so Peter's uh, in this little speech that he gives there. He recognizes that in every nation, whoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted by God. And then he goes down and gives the account of Jesus that he um, witnessed. He was with him the whole time. And then in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words. So Peter wasn't done giving his sermon. He was like, I'm giving you a little sermon right now. It's like in the middle of me giving you a sermon. God does something for you. That has nothing to do with me, right? While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And verse forty-five: and those of the circumcision, who were who believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now it wasn't because they had faith; it was because, as we see, um, uh, uh, in thirty-five. In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. But that's not, if we go back to Acts chapter 15, where we were, that's not what Peter says in verse 9. And made no distinction between us and them. He got that part right. Purifying their hearts by faith. No, they were already pure. That little tweak is a big deal to me. So we see that there's a reverting in the understanding of what happened. Or a misunderstanding, right? Now, do I think Peter's intentionally misrepresenting what happened? No, no, no. I think he's recounting what he believes is the summary of what happened. But he forgot the original command. Don't call unclean what God has already called clean. And that's why he went into the house to begin with, right? They were already clean. Otherwise, it was against the written authority of Peter to enter the house of the Gentile. Okay, uh, verse 10 now. Key verse... Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to? But look at this. They're talking about circumcision. And he says, don't put this burden, this yoke, this qualification, this, uh, you know, don't put this condition on these people. We couldn't even, we didn't even, it was a burden that we couldn't even keep. We couldn't even bear it. So now when we drop down, okay, let's just read it real quick. I'll I'll just be real quick. Verse 11. But we believe that through uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So he's saying, look, we're going to be saved the same way that they're saved. Then all the multitudes kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, now James is the head of the church at this point. This is Jesus' brother James, he's the head honcho now saying, hey, look, Jesus was my brother. That makes me second in command. Uh, he's not here anymore. Now you got to listen to me. Man and brethren, listen to me. Uh, see that Simon has declared, meaning Peter, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And I have my little notes here. Old habits die hard. So he's trying to justify what happened by what's written. And this is what we continue to do, when we can clearly see that not everything that is written is a justification for the things that God does. Uh, But anyway, verse sixteen, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Uh, Verse eighteen. Known to God from the eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge. Now, this is James is the head of the church, right? Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. So it's a trouble. We're going to burden them. We're not going to trouble them. But that we will write to them to abstain from things. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're not going to put this qualification on them or restriction. We're going to have some other restrictions that are a little bit easier to handle. Uh, But that we write to them to abstain from things uh, polluted by idols. Okay, number one, uh, from sexual immorality, number two, and from things strangled, number three, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders and the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So so what they're going to do is headquarters. They said, okay, Paul and Barnabas, you guys go tell the people in Antioch what we're going to do so they really do believe you is we're going to send some of our guys with you and say, yeah, 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 they're telling you the real deal, okay? Uh, Namely, Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men uh, among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, okay? So they wrote a letter, and they, you know, did the little uh, wax seal and the whole thing. That way they knew it was going to be really from them. Um, The apostles and elders and and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Syria, Uh, you guys know what it is greetings since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment it seems good it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved barnabas and paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. In other words, they're going to verify the story. Uh, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. I like this word, though. I like this wording. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. So they're not dealing in absolutes. They're They're saying, look, I think this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. to to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. So this is, uh, and then they say, farewell. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, so they so they got to Antioch and said, "Okay, everybody, gather around, gather around. Can I have your attention, please? Right, gather around, gather around." And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Somebody said, "Amen! I ain't got to be circumcised." <laughs> he had a lot of cheering and and pour around on the house, right? Around on me, give everybody around uh, <laughs> drinks on me. So they were so they were celebrating the fact that they didn't have to be circumcised according to, uh, the, the leadership of the church. Um, so this is in real time, we're, we're spending a lot of, quite a bit of time on this issue. And I think it's good that we do just do so, so we can see how seriously they took the issue of remaining in right standing with God, right? They're still in the mindset that they can disqualify themselves. Uh, Justin, I knew it. You're one of those once saved, always saved people, aren't you? Um, not exactly, right? If you go back to the last two sessions, we asked the question, if there is no hell, why did Jesus die on the cross? And it's a great question. I don't have time to go back over that today. Um, when this session is over, go back and listen to those because they're really, really good. What we're witnessing here is the struggle of the early church in letting go of antichrist restrictions. I mean, they're still wrapping their heads around the idea that Gentiles are in. So they're, they're doing their own set of yabbits. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, what about circumcision? You see, now, you and I aren't hung up on the qualification of circumcision because there's a record of the early church hashing out for us. And really, the point is not the specific qualification. This is the one that they focused on but they were still emerging from centuries of tradition. They didn't see that Jesus forgave without people asking for forgiveness. They knew that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Now, Jesus fit into the narrow qualification that was intended for a narrow group. Remember, we have Adam, Abraham, uh, Isaac, Israel, Moses, right? He wasn't necessarily a Pharisee, But he was all those things. So Jesus fit into this narrow, narrow qualification. But look, Jesus also fits into the rest of humanity's broad qualification as well. And the early church was struggling to shed the idea of no qualifications. The early church didn't even consider that God isn't actually angry. Oh, of course God's angry. Of course. God's going to punish people. How do we avoid it? That's what we need to find out. What do we do? Don't do, do. Do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do this. Uh, you know, look, it's the wrong focus. In fact, in the very next chapter, Paul backslides. Let's take a look. Chapter 16. Let me get my glasses back on. Verse 1 and verse 1 through 4, Paul reverts to the old way that he later calls a curse. Let's look at it. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him, uh, Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews in that region. For they all knew his father was Greek. So we see Paul backslid. He just got a letter from from headquarters saying, "Look, no, they don't have to be circumcised." But did he didn't he have a copy of that letter with him? I mean but he he backslid. He said, "Okay, uh I know you don't have to, but go ahead and get circumcised anyway." Wow. And you want you want to talk about dedicated. <laughs> this is this guy uh Timothy, right? Timothy's dedicated. He did it anyway. I, I know it's expensive. Do it anyway. That's a that makes me laugh. That's a it's a when you're going to overcome an objection like if you're in selling or whatever and uh, man, it's too expensive. Yeah, yeah, it's expensive. Do it anyway. And that's what Timothy did. Boy, that's a that's a hefty price. Yeah, yeah, do it anyway. <laughs> so this, this is a, an objection that you can overcome by do it anyway, all the way back in the scripture. Um, but let's jump ahead a little bit and go to our next scripture. We're going to go to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 3 of the book of Galatians. And here it goes. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Okay, well, that's that's cool. So Titus didn't have to do that. Uh, now let's, let's uh, turn over a couple chapters to chapter 5, and we're going to go verse 1 through 6. And he's talking to the Galatians. He says, Stand fast, therefore, with the liberty, liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Well, that's the phraseology that... Uh, Peter used when referring to circumcision what's Paul talking about here let's find out indeed I Paul say to you that if you become circumcised Christ will profit you nothing and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law you become estranged from Christ you who attempt to be justified by the law you have fallen from grace for we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by the faith Uh, so uh, yeah hope of righteousness by faith Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Okay, so we see here that Paul has clearly rejected the idea that circumcision is necessary. In fact, Paul clearly is actively anti-vaccine. I mean, (laughs) not vaccine, anti-circumcision. In fact, circumcision is now going to prevent you from salvation. It's a complete 180. And, you know, we see when we get to Romans chapter 3, when we advance farther, that God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles, and there's only one God. And back in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, I don't even have to turn a page, chapter 3, 28, right? Paul's saying that there is, let me just read it, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, neither is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. But remember, Paul specifically said that God instructed that women should be silent in the church and ask their husbands husbands if they have a question. Here's where we have to take a look at Paul's willingness to hear God beyond his current understanding. You've got to remember, there was no New Testament to refer to, right? And they, try, and they tried to rely on the Scripture to persuade some people. And some people believed. Some dug their heels in even more. So the Old Testament was not the authority, especially when talking to the Gentiles, who had no knowledge of the Scriptures. And even in Paul's letters, Paul didn't entrust the, the churches to the written Scripture. He didn't say, I turn you over to Genesis through Malachi. He prayed that the Holy Spirit would guide them in all truth. And Paul Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was not stuck in his traditional religious view. Paul's life is an exercise in extricating himself from his traditional religious view. And he got a long way. But do we think that he made it all the way? I mean, his views changed drastically. And this is why he said that we all know in part and prophesy in part. Paul didn't claim total knowledge. The one thing he knew for sure is that what he thought he knew was wrong. And he didn't want to make that mistake again. But when we look at what he wrote and the things written in his name and say that this is all there is to know about God, that's it, book end, you know, bookend it. God is finite and is contained within this book. That's what we say. We totally missed the part where Paul was training people to hear the heart of God beyond what was written. I mean, look, what if the book of Acts had ended in chapter six? Right? That's the chapter Stephen died thinking that only Israel was qualified for the Messiah. Right? We wouldn't be debating inclusion or once saved, always saved, or is baptism necessary, or you know, LGBTQ. We wouldn't be debating any of that. None of that would be even a question. It's only for the Jews. We've missed the most important lesson, and really, the true question is not, uh, what would we lack if they had stopped in Acts chapter 6? But the powerful question is, what do we lack today because we failed to follow as they followed? You see, the crescendo of the Bible is not the book of Revelation. That's not the crescendo. That's not not where the the great ending is. right? That's not not where the climax of the book. The crescendo is when God is present in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, and John. In the person of Jesus. And the discarded doctrines of Jesus are the kingdom of God. We're not supposed to know God through the book. We should know the book through God. Think about that. We should look at the book through the eyes of God. This is not looking back. The book is not looking at us and judging us. Right? Let me do it like this. Maybe I can get another. The book is not sitting here judging us. Let me do it this way so I'm into the mic. The book is not sitting here judging us. This is not God. The book is not God. Listen to me. Let me say it again. This book is not God. God. We have said it's God's word, and we're we're wrong. We're wrong. This is not God's. word. It contains some things that align with that are Christ-aligned, but it contains a lot that is anti-Christ. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Okay. Well, yeah, we've gone over this several times. Yes, it does. In fact, they were debating, one of them right here, we just went over, the one of the ones that, that is anti-Christ. Circumcision. We find a record in our Scripture that is debating whether or not the Scripture is valid or authoritative. That's what this is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What we're talking about today is the idea that the early church was grappling with the idea that the written word is not authoritative the thing that they commanded us to do moses said you must be circumcised right abraham way before moses abraham said you must be circumcised otherwise you're not part of the covenant and that gets blown out of the water by by the living word and now they're grappling with this idea but man what does that mean What does that mean? And listen, you know in your knower that God doesn't endorse killing all the men, women, and children except the virgins so they can be concubines. You know that God doesn't endorse that. We know that God looks at the woman caught in the act of adultery and doesn't condemn her. We know that despite what the book says, God didn't kill David and Bathsheba's baby. We see that God turned the other cheek when they nailed God to the cross. We don't have to wonder if it's lawful to heal someone on the the Sabbath. We don't have to wonder about that. They did. And Jesus is like, of course it's lawful, (laughs) right? Jesus continually said that you wouldn't leave your ox in the ditch on the Sabbath, so helping, helping a person on the Sabbath is not against God. And we talked about it. Way, way in the, in the early sessions, God told Jonah to talk to the them in Nineveh. This isn't a new concept. It's a lost tradition, though. It was replaced by a tradition that says, if you don't sign up for the right team, I don't have to punish you tempor- t- uh, temporally, right, in this world. I don't have to do physical harm like the way Saul did, Paul did. the way that they, you know, crucified Christ. I don't have to do anything like that. God is going to punish you eternally, right? When you know good and well that you could never do that to somebody. You could never do that to somebody. Yet you think God is less capable of compassion than you. We say things like, man, I would never wish that on my worst enemy. But somehow God is okay with it right we have to follow the pattern of paul and the early believers it's the pattern we have to follow not the not the dictates not the specifics it's the pattern 13579 blank 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 we know what the we know what the pattern is and what we are seeing in today's session is the way that the pattern works Right, if Paul had lived another decade, how many steps in the pattern would he have followed? But we freeze the pattern and we say, no, that's as far as we go, no further. One, three, five, seven, nine, and no more. Yeah, but I can see eleven. There is no eleven. The book says we go to nine and that's it. Yeah, but they didn't have this book. They were making it up as they went. Moses thought we had to kill animals to satisfy God's anger. And Jesus came and said, I'm not angry. I don't want to call down fire. That's not me. I, can say, I say, consider how you want to be treated and treat others that way. And then he showed us how to do exactly that. I want to say something again. Look, the early church didn't have a New Testament to go, but they were not limited to whatever was written. They were unshackling from what was previously written. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Hear what I'm saying. Follow the example of the early church. They were unshackling from what was written. Namely, in the idea of, of, of qualification through circumcision. Circumcision is not the issue. because we see that it's been settled. The pattern is, look at the things that go against God and discard the thing that goes against God. That's the pattern. That's the thing that we do. We discard the thing that goes against God. We don't hold to what is written. We go with the living word over the written word. We go with the living word over the written word. Let me say it again. We go with the living word over the written word. Paul called it grace by faith. But the larger view is grace by love. Grace by faith requires that you have faith. Grace by love requires nothing from you. Grace by love is the next step in the pattern. The depth of love is not fathomable. And, you know, the more you know about God, the more you realize that you know nothing. That's what we find out when we see the, the telos, those James Webb Space Telescope. And we see farther and farther farther back in history. History that's just getting to us now. You, you, you realize that when you look at the sky, you're witnessing history. It takes like eight minutes for the, the sunlight. Okay, <laughs> when the sun rises, the sun rose eight minutes ago. That light emitted from the sun eight minutes before it ever gets to you because of the speed of light it being constant, right, and when you see the other stars look i 'm not going to try to get into it, but what I 'm trying to say is the more you find out about what God has done and what God has created, the more you realize you know nothing they had to they had to throw their entire idea of how the universe was created in the garbage when they see more things there's there's galaxies that are bigger than they're supposed to be earlier on in in time and they had to they had back to the drawing board the more they know the more they realize they don't know anything and the more you know god's love the more you realize that you cannot outrun it think about your kids is there anything that they can do that would disqualify you from loving them? Of course not. We think about the prodigal son and we think, oh man, yeah, he went to hell. And then and then finally he came to his senses and came back. No. He was never outside the love of the father. The father, the, the love of the father extended to him while he was in the, the pit with the pig, right? What happened is he finally came to his senses. He said, man, maybe I can go back and at least just be a servant because the servants in my father's house live better than I do. I want you to hear what I'm saying. And some of this is for, there are some of you that specifically need to hear this. Maybe you are a parent who has a child who you would consider to be prodigal, they are not outside your love. And neither are you outside God's love. There is no qualification for you to love your child. There is no qualification for you to be loved by God. And now there is something that some of you who are a child need to hear. You are loved. You are loved. There is nothing you can do. You cannot outrun God's love. You cannot outrun your parents' love. You cannot outrun your parents' love. That's what we have for today. God's not angry. Paul saw this. And uh, the more he traveled, the more and more he traveled to more Gentile people, right? He saw that more and more and more. We, Christianity, have become the Sanhedrin. We find ways to disqualify everyone but us. That's what the religious leaders did. That's what Jesus continually taught against. Jesus sees the original goodness in all of humanity. And as we close this week's session, I'm asking you to see the original goodness in others the way God sees the original goodness in you. Thanks for watching. See you next time. Dogmatically Imperfect with Justin Marson is a production of Original Goodness Media. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, there are a couple ways to do that. If you want to support us financially, you can go to the website, originalgoodness.media. The other way to support the show is to share it with others directly or by leaving a review. If you have thoughts or questions that you would like to share, please send an email to yabud at originalgoodness.media. That's Y-E-A-H. B-U-T at originalgoodness.media Make sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast and social media platforms. Special thanks to The Real Night Terror for our theme music. See you next time.